If your children were to ask you if you're working on something that will make the world a better place, what would you say? This question is the driving force for my guest for today's episode, and he is the wonderful best-selling author and entrepreneur, Daniel Priestley. Dan was curious to find a way to create and support entrepreneurs to stand out, scale up, and make a dent in the universe, and as a result, founded Dent Global. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you'll have already heard from a few entrepreneurs that have been on the Key Person of Influence Accelerator. Dan joins me today to talk about using business as a force for good, why starting a business is a bit like planning to rob a bank, a few insights and predictions for the future, and more. My name is Charlie Wyman, and I am the host of the Curiosity Key podcast, where I interview other curious thinking advocates that believe that curiosity really is one of our biggest assets and can be used as a huge force for good and strategy for successful business and marketing. Dan shares so many words of wisdom, insights, and advice in this episode. Be sure to take notes, but if you're on the move, don't worry. You can just check out the show notes on my website. Head to charliewyman.com forward slash podcast. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I do. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Curiosity Key podcast and I am joined with the wonderful Daniel Priestley. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Well, I love the name. I wanted to be, I was curious to know what was going on here. So, So I had to get on the podcast and find out. (laughs) Well, I really appreciate you taking the time out to join me today. So I have interviewed many guests in the past that have been on your accelerator and have waxed lyrical about your work and everything that you're doing. So can you tell our audience and people that don't know you and don't know your work a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I'm the founder and the CEO of a company called Dent Global. Uh, We run accelerators all over the world. So we've got an office in Sydney and Toronto and London Uh, which covers the three main time zones around the world. Uh, And we work with about 3,000 companies globally to help them uh, or develop them to stand out, scale up and make a positive impact in the world. Um, So we love creating businesses that are commercially successful, uh, but also that take on a big problem, a big meaningful problem in the world and do something to uh, go about solving it. I love that. And that is one of the biggest reasons that I wanted to have you on this podcast, because I I am also a B1G1 member. Um, oh, I've interviewed the wonderful Paul Dunn and Steve Pipe, and I'm always talking about B1G1 and the amazing work that they're doing. Such a, it's such an elegant and simple system that makes such a big difference. And I love the fact that it's all about small but meaningful impacts and you don't have to be turning over a massive profit to get started and you can you can build it into your business right from the word go. There's a lot of cool ways you can use B1G1. Um, like the simple ways of, you know, <clears throat> with every purchase, there's a, there's a single, simple product. But one of the things that we do with our clients is that we actually have hidden 17 giving impacts throughout their journey with us. So as our clients are going through the accelerator, they might um, log into a certain portal and it'll little pop up and say, as a result of logging into this section of the portal, uh, a Kenyan farmer just got given a grant to become a beekeeper, uh, to, to get a beekeeping business off the ground. And we, we've hidden this and every one of our clients can, uh, can actually unlock up to 17 giving impacts just by playing full out on the accelerator. I love it. So you're embedding a little bit of a competition in there. We are. And, and the, how... beauty, the beauty is most of the giving impacts are like two or three pounds. They all add up um, uh, as we go. But 
the, the beauty of B1G1 is they've actually broken the giving impacts down to actual little impacts. So it's kind of, it, you can get really creative with it. I love that. And what I love about B1G1 is that it's easy to measure the impact that you're creating as well. So yeah. you can easily identify when people are unlocking those different levels, as you say, our, or doing those different team, things. Our team keeps score of all of these things and they adore it. They absolutely love it. So do you know, can you say how many impacts that you've created with v one uh, Off the top of my head, um, no, I can't. Um, I know that we, I know that globally we've raised about half a million pounds um, that we've either given or we've raised. Um, I'm, I, off the top of my head, I'm not actually sure how many giving impacts we've we've hit, um, but not enough. We need to go and we need to go and do more. Oh, I love that answer. Not enough. Love it. Um, so, one question that I did want to ask is. Um, why is it important to you to build a company that embeds the uh, UN Sustainable Development Goals or the SDGs, as we commonly talk about? And yeah, like, like, why is that important to you? And, and what advice would you give to somebody that's not aware of this? Yeah, well, look, for me personally, I've got three kids under six. And, um, you know, I just, I just feel a really great sense that... Uh, I want to make sure that we're doing something that makes a better world. Uh, that that my kids can can uh, can ask me the question: Have you done something to 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 improve the planet and improve the world and hand on a great planet? And I can look them in the eye and say, absolutely, yeah, we've you know we've done we've done everything we could. Uh, I I was an entrepreneur in my twenties and um, I built a company that was a very fast growth company. When I was twenty two, I started. Before the age of 25, we got up to making sales of over a million dollars a month. And, um, you know, I, I kind of experienced fast growth business and all that sort of stuff and kind of got myself into a position in my late 20s where I couldn't do nothing, but I could do pretty much whatever I wanted to do, provided that, provided that it wasn't ex- like completely crazy uh, or, or just not do anything. So, um, it was an interesting position to be in, um, and actually, kind of one of the things I was exposed to is <clears throat> philanthropy and people who are able to make so much money that they give it all away. And I thought, you know, there's some real shortcomings with that, which is that you have to a create a huge business first, which might take 40 years <clears throat> before you can then start giving it away, um, and we might not have 40 years with some of the problems on the planet. And then b <clears throat> you might not succeed. So you could put everything into building a business that that ultimately fails and then you don't get to make the impact that you want to make. So I kind of pondered all this sort of stuff around that time and ended up coming to the conclusion that all the resources that we needed on the planet were already here and we just needed to mobilise them better and, and just organise intelligent people uh, to get onto it. <clears throat> and there was also a moment where I started becoming aware of entrepreneurs just doing really pointless things. I think there's nothing more pointless than the game Candy Crush. Um, some of the world's most talented scientists, data data specialists, people who have done PhDs, master's degrees, are working on the problem of getting people addicted to Candy Crush. And um, to me, that's horrendous. Like a business should be solving a big, meaningful problem. I really don't care how much money it makes. A business should be solving a big, meaningful problem in my mind. So one of the things I want is to is to see thousands of companies go on and create a dent in the universe and make a big impact or even a little impact. 
uh, on a sustainable development goal. So the, the UN Global Goals is just a framework. <clears throat> it's just a very useful framework to know where to focus that energy. One thing I do love about the the Global Goals is the fact that there are 17 different ones. So you can have a look at identifying the ones that mean the most to you, but then also identify which ones mean the most to your clients too. Because yeah. I see a lot of businesses try to embed charitable giving into what they're doing, but that not that might not be in line with um, everybody in the team, everybody in the company, and also the customers that they're working with. So one thing that I'm trying to do at the moment is uh, find a way to make it automated and easy for my clients to choose which global goal they want to support and then embed that into the way that I'm doing the giving rather than me just say, right, I believe in empowering people through education and, you know, sort of clean water and sanitation. They may be more in line with things like, you know, um, helping uh, agriculture and animals and um, the equality gap and things like that as well, because everybody has their own individual preference and way yeah. that they want to focus their efforts. There's also, <clears throat> there are some other ways to approach it. Um, so you can approach uh, purpose and giving and all that sort of stuff through a few different lenses with the business. So I would say number one is the nature of what the business does. So does the business actually do something worthwhile in the planet? Are you not just giving money away, but are you running a business that has a good reason to exist? Um, and, 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 and that's kind of like what is the nature of the business? Um, the next one is how are you actually running the business? Are you running the business from a point of view that you're minimizing plastic usage? Are you running the business from a point of view of checking out who your suppliers are and could you be working with suppliers who are better? Um, are you running the business by, um, you know, you, you creating, are you creating the right opportunities around the business so that's kind of all in the running of the business then there's giving money away which you, which is a great way to do things but percentage of profits or revenues and then there's also using the the, the influence of the business to fundraise or to mobilize resources um, and then the final one would be pro bono where you actually uh, access excess capacity within the business and you start finding ways to utilize that capacity in a way that would uh, do more good in the world and through a combination of all those things, you can actually use a business to really make a lot of transformation. I love that. And that brings me on to my next question beautifully, which is around a prediction that you've made recently um, about the kind of next big company. So for anybody that's not not listened to your recent prediction, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I said that uh, I believe that there'll be a trillion dollar company that is started because of COVID-19. And when I say because of, it'll be the fact that people are on lockdown, they've got the time, the technology, access to teams and talent, um, and they're able to research and find, you know, f find some sort of a solution. And I can imagine that the disruption that COVID-19 will cause to large established companies will create a gap in the marketplace and there'll be a stampede of great unicorns that come out of the 2020s. And then on top of that, there'll be one company that goes on to become a trillion-dollar company. Um, I kind of predicted it might happen by 2030, but certainly by 2040, there'll be a trillion-dollar company, the likes of Amazon or Apple. Um, and when they interview the founder, she's going to say it happened because of COVID-19. Uh, if I wasn't on lockdown, I would, I, you know, I had to take this break. I was on furlough leave. I, I, um, I had access to amazing, talented people who wouldn't have otherwise taken my call, and that's how we got started. So I think some pretty amazing things typically come out of disruption, 
And there's never been more money on the planet. There's never been more talented people on the planet. There's never been more education. There's never been more resources. There's never been greater access to markets. Some really big, meaningful, powerful things are going to happen because this COVID-19 or just 2020 in general has shaken everyone to the core, made people have a real existential moment and think about what they really want to do with their life and their career. And as a result of all of the kind of craziness of 2020, I think some remarkable change will happen. I love that. And for anybody listening, and I can imagine that I've got a few people listening going, right, okay, so where do I start? I've got an idea. I have no idea how to tap into that that amazing pool of global talent. What advice would you give somebody asking that question right now? So there's a few steps and a few stages for building a successful or commercially successful business. Um, There's the first stage is around discovery of value. And I, I love this picture of that you're already standing on a mountain of value. So whenever I meet someone, my job is to try and understand what is their mountain of value that they're already on? What's their background, their stories, their highs, their lows, their triumphs, their tragedies? What uh, methods do they have? What um, IP do they have in their head? Um, You know, that's the mountain of value. And you're only going to be successful based upon your own mountain of value. You're never going to succeed chasing someone else's mountain. You never, you know, everyone, everyone looks great from a distance. Every mountain over there on the horizon looks wonderful as a big silhouette. But when you're standing on your own messy, grubby, dirty, volcanic mess of a mountain that's just right underneath your feet, it doesn't look so cool because you're so close to it. Um, But the truth is that all of us are standing on a mountain of value to, to a lesser or a greater degree, and you've, that's all you've got to work with. So you, the first thing is the discovery. What is it you're on? What is, it, what is this value that you have? And we're looking for intellectual property. We're looking for IP, stories, methods, case studies, examples, uh, et cetera. Um, <clears throat> and then there's a, a set of stages that we have to go through. We have to turn that into a business concept. We have to find an audience for it. We have to package up an offer, and then we've got to go make some sales, put together a team, become more influential, um, so that we, we go through a set of stages and we map out those stages at Dent. We've kind of broken them all into modules and we go through. So there's first four that I mentioned are called chaos, concept audience offer sales. Uh, and, um, and that's kind of where most businesses have to start and, uh, and basically get a bit of traction through, uh, attacking chaos. Um, and, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, and the other one would be recognition that business is a team sport. <clears throat> so nothing great really happens in isolation. All, all great transformations and changes is when few people get together and start discussing. So sometimes you don't know what to do. And the first thing to do is just get smart people in a room or on a Zoom. And, um, uh, and, and it's kind of like robbing a bank. If you, if you watch all the movies about how you do a bank robbery, they order some pizzas, they sit down in the basement with a big big blank piece of paper and they've got some like draft drawings of the bank and what time it opens and what time it closes. And then they kind of work out, well, you know, you'd be a really good getaway driver and you'd be good at, you know, kind of cracking the safe. And they start kind of assigning the roles. And then someone says, ah, well, it won't work because there's two security guards on in the morning. And it's like, ah, okay, we'll have to do it in the afternoon. And you start problem solving. And there comes this moment where you go, you know what, I think we could get away with this. (laughs) <laughs> and it's kind of, it's kind of like that with starting a business. You get three or four smart, talented people together and you just start discussing and discussing and churning and nattering and you have a big blank piece of paper and you try and 
try and attack the problems and figure out what would stop us from doing this. And, you know, okay, one thing, we don't know how to make money. We don't know how to, you know, well, how would we solve that? You know, we don't know how to find customers. Well, okay, we might need to bring someone else in who does know how to find customers. Or maybe there's a book on that, or maybe there's some YouTube videos we could watch. So it's that kind of, that kind of churning process of nattering it through. And then there eventually comes a moment where you go, I think we could get away with this. We could actually launch this business and it might work. Um, and you're trying to get yourself to that moment where everyone kind of feels that uplift of energy of like, actually, this could work. I love that analogy. So it's like running a business is like trying to rob a bank. <laughs> Starting a business is like trying to rob a bank. Running a business is not like running or robbing a bank, but certainly getting started is. Oh, I love that. Especially what you're saying about, you know, get the good people in a room first and then assign the roles rather than the other way around, which I think a lot of businesses go down that route of assign the route and then try and pigeonhole people into those yeah. roles. Well, if you're experienced in entrepreneurship, if you've done a couple before and if you've, you know, if you've been around it before, you can kind of, you can zoom through that first stage so fast and it's not hard if you're experienced. So if I'm, if I'm putting together a new company, it's not hard for me to kind of go, okay, well, here's what we're going to do in the first week. Boom, 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 boom. We're going to bring these people in and raise this money and we're going to put this product together and get this product landing page live. But that's because I've done it so many times. Um, so if you're, if you're new to it and you feel intimidated by it, then you need to slow it right down and just have some, have some pizzas, you know, have some pizzas and some chats. Have some pizzas, have some chats. I love that. I realize I'm saying I love that quite a lot and I'm now rambling, <laughs> but yeah, no, that's such a good idea. And yeah, chatting it, chatting it out and slowing it down too. Cause I speak to a lot of people that are at those early stages or they've tried to fast track it really quickly, but then just want to get from A to Z in as fast a time as possible rather than rein it in and think, well, okay, what foundations do I need to put in place? Uh, yeah. And that was one of the things that I really liked from your book um, was that you talked about those key foundations and those key roles that you need in each business yeah. and those areas of focus. The other thing that's cool is you don't necessarily need to start a business. You could run a, a campaign. So a campaign is like a start date and a finish date. And it's not like you're divvying up equity and it's not like you're, you know, like formalizing things that are going to be, have to be, you know, in cement. Um, a campaign is really simple. It could be, you know what we're going to do? We're going to run a day event and we're going to get some speakers and we're going to get 20 people in the audience and we're going to have a panel and uh, and we're going to charge for some tickets. And, you know, it could, be, it could actually be incredibly simple that it's just a little campaign or we're going to do a little product launch. There's going to be 500 units of the product and we're just going to sell the 500 units and then we'll see what happens. Um, or we're going to take on one client, see what happens, see if we can work with that one client, and that's campaign number one. So it's like an engine of a car is, it sounds like it's humming along, but actually it's individual revolutions of the car engine. And businesses sound like they're humming along, but actually in many cases they're just little campaigns running. Um, and and one of the easiest ways to start a business is not to start a business, just run a campaign, run a little campaign and have have a three-month window and see what you can do in three months and then call it, you know, have another pizza and see what you do want to do next. I'm getting the impression that you're a big fan of pizza. I'm not. I'm not even... <laughs> I look like I'm a fan of pizza sometimes. Um, you know, I, I'm picturing, a, I'm picturing a, a getaway movie where they're all sitting around the basement with a pizza and a, and a getaway plan. 
Yeah, I'm I'm trying to imagine quite a few of the old, like, you know, at the Italian job. I'm not sure if they had pizza in the Italian job. They just had minis and uh, a lot of fun cultural. doing it. I need to be a bit more cultural. Have some sushi, have 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 a vegan burger. Oh, um, I used to live in Italy. You're playing to the, like, talk about pizza. I'm in. Done. <laughs> figure right. it out when we get there definitely so that is a great it's a great way of looking at that and i think a lot of people can can take a lot from that especially in terms of running campaigns because the best way to run a campaign is to learn from it look at what worked well do more of that look at what didn't work stop doing that and then look at areas of opportunity that pop up that you didn't expect you didn't predict so yeah i think that's a brilliant way of uh, of looking at that so i'm going to write lots of notes from this podcast episode it's great um so you recently re-released your oversubscribed book which was one of my kind of top favorites that i used to recommend to people um right you are talking to a little fangirl here. Um, and uh, I thought it was really funny as well because I, I have two copies of your oversubscribed book and I think somebody picked up the older version. I was like, no, don't pick that up and take that, read the new one. Um, what was it that made you update that book? Um, the thing that most made me update it was that um, in the I wrote it in 2015 and then shortly after uh, there was the Cambridge Analytica scandal um in like 2017 18 maybe 19 i'm not sure but i remember first hearing about the cambridge analytica scandal and u.s presidential elections are really interesting fertile ground for thinking up marketing ideas and basically it's the most vicious fight on the planet between grown grown adults and um it's kind of like the the MMA of business marketing or campaigning or, or, you know, it's, it's, it's full on two people, two people fighting for power using every little trick in the book that they can possibly use in order to try and win power. And from a marketer's point of view, you really want to pay attention to how did they win? So uh, when Roosevelt won, he used a fireside chat radio um, national radio campaign that gave him the edge and the other comp- uh the other opponents used print media newspapers. And uh, and then that began the radio jingle age and it actually began the age of people tuning into radios for their information and that was the number one way to build a brand using radio. And then JFK won using a televised debate and he was on TV and he was the television president for the first time and that became the number one way to build a business and a brand. Um, Obama won using social media marketing and engagement and that became the number one way to build a business and a brand. And then when Trump won using data analytics and hyper-targeted marketing and creating micro-campaigns for every single individual user and using extremely detailed amounts of data to target people in new ways, I kind of immediately started thinking, wow, okay, we're in a new era of marketing. That was quick. You know, it went from social media to data really fast. And I, I started just kind of writing some of this stuff and thinking, I really need to do an update of the book Oversubscribed. If, if you're going to have a marketing book, um, it's like it really needs to contain some different information about data. Um, the other thing too is after releasing the book, I saw people um, implementing it and I started gathering new stories and I got, I gathered cl- clearer ways to talk about each concept. So I kind of stripped about 15,000 words out of the book um, and then replaced it with about 25,000 words worth of new stuff and new stories and uh, and just kind of up updated the book after five years. 
So would you say that after the next presidential campaign, we'll be expecting another rewrite or another another version uh, of it? Well, I'd be shocked if it didn't relate to data. And also <clears throat> the Democrats after the Democrats haven't cottoned on to how he won. Um, cause I can, I can actually see, uh, based on the Facebook ad campaigns, um, how each uh, party is responding and how they're creating campaigns. So for example, Donald Trump in January, uh, picked a fight with the Iranians with, by bombing the general and killing their, one of their generals. And then immediately the week after he did that, he ran 4,000 ads across the USA asking people what they thought about that. And basically across every conceivable demographic and psychographic, he ran a little mini survey to figure out what people thought about it. So uh, that I think they spent 200 or 400,000 that week just on running those ads. And essentially what they're doing is they're just sucking in loads and loads of data and they're doing this all the time. Anytime there's a major thing that happens, they're constantly surveying these 4,000 segments. And what they're doing is they're preparing themselves so that when they begin campaigning, they're just going to go in and essentially market back to each individual segment exactly what they want to hear. Um, at the same time, the Democrats run campaigns that are just like, it's Michelle Obama's birthday. You should say happy birthday to Michelle. Click here. and um, uh, like, you know, just re like really just old school, come up with a message, broadcast it out, um, and it's it's not even going to be a fight. I think people are going to be utterly shocked and devastated by how, how easily Trump wins despite all of the things that have happened in 2020. There's so many things that you can learn from what you just said. <laughs> I hope that everybody listening is sort of scribbling notes here or you're going to go to my show notes and then pick up all of these tidbits of, of or, information. Or perhaps write to your local representative. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, especially around the, the power of segmentation and, you know, approaching your marketing with a very clear but also personalized approach and also using data by really understanding what it is that people want. Like how much uh, segmentation do you use in your own business? And can you share any examples of, yeah. of how that's worked for you? So we're, we're adopting a new form of marketing, a new style of marketing. Um, and ba basically for right up until 2015, I suppose, uh, the, the, the strategy of marketing was to, behind closed doors, come up with the key message that you wanted to run with and then use all the channels to push it upon people and, and beat them with it, broadcast it. And the new style of marketing is to come up with thousands of ideas, broadcast them all to the marketplace and then see which sticks, like throw mud at the wall and just see what, what sticks to what people. And if you think about the Boris Johnson election, um, there was this quote that said 70% of his ads were misleading or contained misleading information. And actually what was going on is the same sorts of people who ran the Cambridge Analytica type campaign, what they were doing is they were testing hundreds and hundreds of headlines with 40 or 50 pounds per headline to see whether it sticks. So they might say, um, the Conservatives are going to put more police on the streets. The Conservatives are going to put more firefighters out there. The Conservatives are going to put more nurses in the hospitals. And they can tell the difference between which people are responding to. And they're going, okay, uh, older people want nurses, younger people want firefighters. Uh, you know, so for the, all the young people talk about the firefighters, for all the old people talk about the nurses. And you just basically make stuff up 
run it off to a demographic and see what people respond and see how people respond. So it's a completely different approach to marketing. Um, and the, the key is that you're, you're in a, you're in a uh, dynamic dance with the marketplace. You're not fire high, you're not fire hosing a message onto people. You're dynamically dancing with them. Try this. No. Did that work? No. Did that work? Yes. Okay, great. Um, so <clears throat> my company, we, we collect enormous amounts of data. Now, obviously, it goes without saying, if you're hacking elections, it's probably very unethical. Um, if, you're, if you're building a business, if you're growing a company, testing and segmenting is highly ethical and it's, it's efficient and it actually makes, makes a thing. So context really doesn't matter. But uh, my company, we run surveys. We, we've collected something like 75,000 people uh, have completed our surveys. Uh, each survey has 40 questions. We actually have the data on, on all of that. Uh, so 75,000 people times 40 questions, we can really pinpoint a lot about um, about who we're talking to and what we're saying and how we're, how we're communicating, um, what people respond to, what problems people are trying to solve. Um, so essentially through the use of data, you're trying to tune in on what problems do people have that they're trying to solve and what are the most high value problems that you can solve. And, you know, so we do surveys, we do data, we have thousands of different ad sets um, and we analyze the data. And that brings me nicely to my next question, because before we hit record on this podcast, you asked me, why do, why do people not love marketing? Uh, because a lot of the people that I work with really don't enjoy marketing at all. And uh, I try to make it fun for, for people because I'm not actually trained in marketing. I think I found my own way to make it fun. And especially exactly what you were saying, just by studying what other people do, um, finding out what works and what will work for me and what I enjoy too. So what advice would you give to somebody uh, who doesn't enjoy marketing at the moment? It depends why they why they don't enjoy it. But um, marketing has become one of these things that is part creativity, part science. It's data, it's, crea- it's, it's strategy, it's, it's media, um, it's technology. So it's one of those things that if you say you don't like it, it's probably because you've not really delved deep on it because there's something there for everyone. You know, if you think that marketing is just kind of like shouting about yourself, you know, it's kind of missed the point. It is a, it's a science, it's an art, it's media, it's tech, it's data, it's creativity. It's all rolled into one and it's great fun, you know, and it's great fun interacting and dancing with thousands of people all at once, right? It's, it's this ability to kind of take something, take an idea and get it moving through a population. That's one of my goals of this podcast is to interview lots of different people and find out what they love about marketing, what works. And then hopefully somebody will think, oh, maybe I've not tried that. Maybe I could get involved in that. It's a great era because if you're a data scientist, you could be, you could easily be in marketing and adding huge value. And if you're a filmmaker, you could be in marketing and adding huge value. So, you know, it's uh, it's cool, cool time to be in marketing. And what is your favorite type of marketing? <laughs> marketing that works. Um <laughs> Just uh, look. I, I'm an entrepreneur, so uh, for me, marketing is a, is part of scaling a company. My, what I geek out on is actually the broader scaling a business. I sit around just geeking out on the idea that we can develop entrepreneurs who stand out, scale up, and make a positive impact in the world. Like that. That's what occupies my head all the time. And marketing is just a a tool for for making that happen. Um, so my favorite types of marketing is where we're really telling the stories of our clients when we're shining the spotlight on change and transformation that's happening, 
um, when we're uh, getting people thinking differently, uh, you know, all of that sort of stuff is is pretty magical. I love that. And what what's next for Dent? If you can, well, if you can answer that question, I know put you on the spot. Sounds, I know this sounds really dull, but what I'm all what we're the vision of the business is that me that entrepreneurs will solve meaningful problems um, at at scale. And our mission in that is to develop them, develop entrepreneurs who stand out, scale up, and make a positive impact. Our, um, our values are to be brave, to have fun, and to make a dent in the universe. And I'm not at all even sick of that game. Like, I'm, I'm really just playing that to win. And for me, winning means that, um, you know, we, we just create stunning examples of, of businesses that do that. So I personally... If I was, if you said, Dan, fast forward to age 99, you're going to be still doing this. Um, you're still working with entrepreneurs to get them to stand out, scale up and make a positive impact in the world. I'm like, cool, that's great. I'm, I'm thrilled to do that. Um, I like the idea that our organization doubles every three years or three times a decade. Um, so doing three doubles a decade, you know, if, you, if you're doing 5 million, then you're doing you know, 10, 20, 40. And then, you know, that's one decade. You go from 5 to 40 million. And then, you know, the next decade you go 80, 160, 320. So you're up to 320 million and it's 20 years in or, or 30 years in. So it's kind of like <clears throat> I always think about your legacy is your last double. So um, if you think mathematically, when something's compounding, so doubling, the most recent double exceeds the value of all uh, doubles up until that point. Um, so when you add up, like if you, if you go from a hundred million to 200 million, well, that 200 million, uh, that hundred million jump will actually be, ex ex that'll exceed the value of all the 99 million up until that point. Um, which basically means your, your big legacy is the last double. It's the last time that you keep doing what, what you, the last double of what you're doing is the biggest impact you'll ever make. Um, so for me personally, it's like, just keep doing it and keep enjoying it and keep doubling it and make twice the impact as, as the last three or four years. And, uh, and that's a great fun game to play. Um, and you know, you can express that mission in many different ways. We'll probably go into more software and we'll probably buy some companies that help speed everything along and we'll, you know, probably find new ways to market and open up new territories and do it a bit differently in Africa that we do in Asia and do it a bit differently in the Americas again. But ultimately, we're developing entrepreneurs that stand out, scale up, and make a positive impact, and and that's uh, that's the game worth playing. And I think like, I know that we're we're running out of time here. So one question that I do want to ask, because an, an observation of mine, which is a very sort of small observation, is that especially through this this COVID time, businesses that have purpose at the heart of everything that they're doing seem to be approaching business with a much more positive attitude than businesses that focus on on other things is that something that you've observed do you have any opinions or thoughts around that yeah because um when you don't have purpose and vision and mission at the heart of your business then you get obsessed with what you do so if if i said what we do is we run live events um then i'd say oh we've been massively disrupted because we can't run live events but if i say well that's just one way of doing it like we're still just all, all we're really doing is developing entrepreneurs uh, in this particular way, then it's like, okay, well, we can do that on Zoom and we can do that 
you know, if we could, we could do that in a bunker and we could do that in a ISS, but, you know, we can, we'll always find a way to do that. So you don't feel as disrupted when you've got a very clear vision, a uh, very clear purpose for the business. Everything is just a challenge as to how you can do it now. Um, based on the te- based on the technology and the trends of today, how should we be doing this? So even like a great question to keep asking is based on today's technology and trends, how should we be developing entrepreneurs who stand out, scale up, and make it make a positive impact? And uh, <clears throat> anything that comes along that is new technology or new trends is just a, a, a great impetus to think differently about the business. Lots of wonderful advice there. Thank you so much for this. I could like talk to you for ages about all of these things but I know that we're uh, running out of time here um so for anybody listening who wants to uh, sort of find out more about Dent and, and what you're up to what's the best way of uh, of keeping in contact yeah so um one of the best ways is uh, like I'm on all the social media pro- platforms other than TikTok uh and <laughs> uh and so you can connect with me on social um, and if you want us to send you one of our books, um, like Key Person of Influence, for example, just email info at dent.global and our team will just send you a free copy of the book. Um, so we'll probably send you back a link and you'll it'll it'll link to our mail center and it'll just automatically dispatch a book to you. Um, but uh, basically, we love giving away books. It's our way of like brainwashing people into our way of thinking. So um, if you want to get if you want to get brainwashed by us, then we'll send you a book. <laughs> A book. <laughs> I love that. And I do really recommend uh, Key Person of Influence. I've read it quite a few times because um, there's always new things that you can learn every time you read it, I think. I'm not. Br- I hate brilliant. reading a book once. It's boring. It, uh, it's really it's really cool to read a book a second time. You get so much more the second time. Uh, yeah. Definitely. So for anybody listening that's not read Key Person of Influence, jump on that offer right away. So Daniel, thank you so much. I really appreciate you you coming on and sharing your uh, thoughts and ideas. A- absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me on. When marketing isn't your primary focus or area of expertise, it can quickly become very overwhelming, frustrating and end up at the top of your I'm avoiding this list. If you'd like to make your life easier, and get results from your marketing, then I invite you to come and join us in the Curious Marketing Club, a virtual community full of support, guidance, and know-how. For details about the club and for the show notes from this episode, please visit my website, charliewyman.com. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn from other people who are being curious and doing amazing things, then please subscribe and keep listening. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.